joining me today for another fun conversation with your favorite Fox personalities. Today's guest is one of the most brilliant ladies I know. She's done radio, written best-selling books. She's a former MTV VJ and currently serves as host and commentator on Fox News, regularly appearing on Outnumbered and The Five, and now the host of Kennedy Saves the World on Fox News Audio five days a week. You just can't get enough of her, and I know I can't because I love her so much. So here is the one and only Kennedy on the Janice Dean podcast. Kennedy, you made the Dean's list. Here we are, Janice Dean. I'm not Janice Dean. I'm <laughs> you could be. I think you would do a great job doing the Janice Dean podcast. But wait, you don't have time to do that because you have your podcast five days a week. Yeah, we're going five days a week. Started at two. Okay. Upgraded to three. And then we're like, world saving requires five days a week. Churning them out. That's right. Did Jesse Waters steal yes, your title? Did. Yes, Tell I me. had. I had Kennedy saves the world. I know you did before. Yes, Jesse, you did. And it was Emma Waters who pointed out to him when he was writing his book. She she was like, "Did you realize Kennedy has a podcast called Kennedy Saves the World?" And he's like, "No way." And that's it. Mm-hmm. That was it. Should be giving you royalties. <laughs> Because I mean, you, maybe maybe saving the world requires two of us. Maybe it requires that's an army. That's generous. That's mm-hmm. generous of you. Okay, so what can we expect five days a week on Kennedy Saves the World? I'm glad you asked because I'm definitely doing a book club. Ooh, yeah, um, I love that. I do too because I like reading and I like I reading do fast. Too. And then I just I want to get through it. Reading fast? How do you do that? I took a speed reading class in high school. Stop it. Which so is you- like one of the only. There were only a couple classes in high school. And I remember my brother's friend, after my brother graduated, a friend of his who was even a year older than him told me there's only a couple classes that mean anything. The rest of it is garbage. <laughs> and I was like, tell me more. Okay. And he said, he said, learn a foreign language. He's like, yep. that, that's one of the only things that will actually help you in life. Mm-hmm. Nothing teaches you how to think. Okay. Um, so the things that I found to be useful, uh, French, obviously, no, no high school math was good for me. My brain didn't accept it. I yep. don't know if it was the way it was taught. Calligraphy, I found to be very, very helpful. Oh. And so I, I took a bunch of callig- calligraphy classes. Why? I had a teacher. Um, my mom is an artist. My okay. mom's a painter. And I was always really bad at painting and drawing. But calligraphy somehow made sense in my brain. Mm. And so, and it was how I could express myself creatively. Mm-hmm. And I loved learning new alphabets and, you know, different techniques. And, you know, there, there are some, some very difficult ways to use a, a calligraphy nib in order to round out aspects like serifs on certain letters yes. it's called boning and so and I would spend hours and, and I just realized that sounds super filthy um, it didn't <laughs> when I was 15 but I would spend hours trying to figure out how to do that and then I started doing like these sort of abstract calligraphy pieces and I'll never forget for my high school principal at the time Mr. Turchy I made him a special calligraphy piece, and it was a poem. Would you like to hear the poem? Yes, please. Chocolate-covered ants running down my pants, humming funny round my tummy. So I made that for him, and I presented it to him, and he said, I cannot accept this. And I was like, why? And he's like, because it's really weird, and if I had something about (laughs) ants running down my pants and making my tummy feel funny from a female student, people would, would... say things about well, he could me. just keep it in his desk yeah so my mom kept it so <laughs> does she the, have it the chocolate the covered wall? ants poem 
She has a bunch, like, my mom is one of those moms where any artwork you did, she still has, like, all of the the ceramic masks we made in elementary school. Oh, my Just goodness. All the paper the mache stuff? Yeah, she's got paper mache. My brother, this is really funny, and my brother still gives me a hard time for this. So they made these apple dolls where i know exactly what yeah, you're talking about yeah and you about. put them you put them in they a dehydrator yeah and then you make little old ladies out of yes. them and like glue cotton <laughs> to their hair and, and make little wire glasses so <laughs> my brother made one he must have been in fourth grade so i was in kindergarten and he brought it home and i was like well that looks delicious uh, <laughs> what and you ate it the lady's face oh and he was so mad he came home and he was like how dare you and i was like <laughs> I was hungry. <laughs> so he was really mad at me. Oh my God. But didn't it have like little things on its face that you yeah, ate? Yeah, I mean, I, I avoided the stick pins <laughs> for the eyes and the little wire glasses. Um, and I just, I sort of ate around everything, but it was like, you know, dehydrated fruit. It was great. That is an awesome story. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's very indicative of. So why people in my family thought that maybe I was not an intellectual giant. Oh, stop that. For well, how do we get time. here, though? So important topics to take in school. Yes. And you took French, French calligraphy and God, what else? I mean, what else is there that that actually matters? Speed reading. Sticks. Oh, speed reading. Thank you. So that was one of those classes that I don't know why I took it. I thought I was going to get an English credit. And Mrs. Bernard taught it, and she was amazing. And we we had to learn vocab. So a bunch of juniors who were going to take the SAT were taking the class because it was a way for them to get more SAT vocab. Okay. So we had a lot of vocab tests, but we learned speed read. And, okay, so and, tell me how you do it. So there, there are a couple of different things you can do. You can take your finger and move it along the line. Okay. The technique I prefer is moving my finger down the page. Yes. And then there's also something where you just look for the vowels or for the first and last letter. Okay. And if you do that, then the entire word appears in your brain. Wow. It's very interesting. And and you can kind of use these these different tricks to make your brain and instead of like massaging every single word very slowly mm-hmm. you can you can use these tricks to get them in your brain quicker. Do you do this for news like ingesting news stories? Yeah, but I really do it for books. Okay. But- so like Michio Kaku, I read his book in 2 days. What? But it's dense and there's a lot of physics in there and there's there so I would have to go back and reread certain paragraphs but you know it's like it's really interesting, and I want to get it in as quickly as What's possible. What's the book about? Uh, that one is about supercomputing and and quantum computing. Oh, so Kennedy. it's like quantum mechanics <sighs> and AI and and supercomputers and that uh, that intersection. Okay, so your book club is going to be books that you have sped read. I mean, essentially, yes. So okay. I'm reading a book now called The Individualists, which is about sort of uh, the history and tension within libertarianism and oh. what does libertarianism mean and okay. and so and it's very technical and you know they're they're breaking down a lot of different subjects and where you know the liberty movement sort of diverges from classical liberalism and you know where they land and i'm i'm trying to figure out as i get through the book like is this an apology letter to people on the left who feel like libertarianism has gotten too conservative, which I don't have time for. I don't think you should apologize for any 
of your beliefs, especially if you've come to them rationally. When did you realize you were a libertarian? That's a great question. So I was a Republican in high school and fell in love pretty deeply with Dan Quayle. Yep. Um, to the point where, and I've, I've shared this story and I'm not ashamed of it. When I went to Washington, D.C., um, I was I, I found a, an official picture of the vice president and Mrs. Quayle in front of the Naval Observatory. And so and it was like that sort of thicker cardstock. Mm-hmm. And so I cut out a picture of my face and I taped it over Marilyn Quayle's face. And I had that on my bedroom wall the entire time I was at MTV. And it was like. People are like, wow, that's so weird. Why were you a virgin for so long when you were an MTV? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Isn't that weird? You you should have got him to sign it. He did. He did sign me something. So it was very interesting. I was doing an interview with Details Magazine, and I had I had called. It, it was before Bill Clinton took office. So it was I got to MTV in September of '92 when. The first President Bush and Vice President Quayle were still in office. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I voted for them and I was hoping that they were going to beat Bill Clinton. And they didn't. So in that interim between the election and the inauguration, I would call the White House pretty frequently asking to talk to Dan Quayle. <laughs> like I, Did you put this on the air? No. <laughs> you were just doing it because you wanted to do it. Not as a bit. You really wanted was, to talk to him. not a bit at all. And I was like, I could feel the grains of sand and the hourglass just pouring into the bottom. And I, I could feel our precious time. How do you slipping. call the White House? <laughs> just call the White House. Like anyone can do it. You can call the White House. I call the White House. Like I've called the White House so many times. Like I really should be on it. Uh, do not <laughs> a call a list. list. Yeah, seriously. Um, and I actually, it's, it's really funny. So... <laughs> He called me back. So I left what? the number at the MTV studio and the receptionist was like, you are not going to believe this, but Dan Quayle is on the phone. And I was in the middle of doing an interview with the guy from Details and the guy from Details was like, this is the best thing ever. That is And awesome. so I put him on speaker and I was like, ah, hi, I'm a f- fan. He's like, I know, I know, I get it. I've heard. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you for your support. And I'm like, I'm supportive. I really am. I'm like, ah, like trying you. to write everything down. And and then he sent me a nice, like... What was it about Dan Quayle that you loved? Well, that's a great question. That's a very fair question. Number one, he's from Indiana. Okay. So when in 1988, in, in the summer of, of 1988, the year of the election mm-hmm. and the year of our Lord... We were in Indiana visiting my grandma when Bush, like no one thought the Bush was going to pick Quayle. Like there was really no reason to pick him other than he's an absolute genius in, in foreign and domestic policy. Okay. And so we were there and my dad was like, yeah, momentum shifting. He might pick Quayle. And I was like, who the hell is Quayle? And my dad's like, he's the senator from Indiana. I'm like, amazing. And we were there when when he picked him. I'm like, this is awesome. Wow. And so I felt a connection to him sure. as I do like pretty much every other, you know, national figure from Indiana. Okay. Like, I've, I I, don't have special feelings for Mike Pence or Pete Buttigieg, but I have a connection with yes. them. But I developed I special feelings. And then when I was in the teen Republicans in high school, Dan Quayle came to Portland <laughs> and he, we got to sit in the front row as the teen Republicans because we represented the future. Right. And so, and I 
listened to every word he said, and every time he looked at me, I would wink at him, and then he quickly look away. <laughs> and then when I got to meet him, he shook my hand, he winked at me. I'm like, that's oh, it. Oh my goodness. And then when I was at K Rock, when I was interning on Kevin and Bean, they knew that I I had been writing poems about Dan Quayle and reading them on the air <laughs> in the middle of the night on like K Rock. Um, I have to go back and dig some up, but okay. Lloyd Grove, who at the time was working for the I Washington remember. Post, uh, described them as sexual sonnets. I wouldn't go that far, but they were, there was, there was a longing and right. like a late adolescent urgency <laughs> in them. And so they sent me to, uh, little Saigon in Orange County where the vice president was speaking mm -hmm. and, you know, the election was slipping away from them. He was really trying to shore up support with California Republicans. So Kevin and Bean sent Brian Suits and I down there with a dat recorder to try and get an interview with the vice president. And at the time I was wearing a purple dress and purple lipstick and I had just dyed my hair purple. Nice. And so, and I was like, I am looking so good right now. And then I got down there and I was so out of place with all the people there. And so, you know, I, I, snuggled up with the rest of the press i'm like i'm supposed to be here i'm representing kroq and his press secretary yells out last question and i said mr vice president and then i realized i didn't have a question oh and, my. and so i panicked and so and like the, you know there's so many questions about the economy and you know the the orange county republicans had taken out a full page ad trying to convince president bush to kick quail off the ticket and so there were, there were all these like very important pressing questions and so i paused for a second i go how do i look in purple and he goes you look great in purple and then and then i went over and got like a quick sound bite from him and uh and it was like that was it it solidified i call it I call it admiration, yeah. but some people will call it obsession. Right. But at least you're aware of that. You yeah. have an awareness of that. Mm -hmm. And I, I tried to book them on my Fox business show <laughs> for eight and a half years. Dan Quayle, if you listen to the Janice Dean podcast. And you know he does. Of course he does. I mean, what is he doing now? Do you know? Yeah, he's, he's just getting rad in Indiana. He's probably like fishing and wakeboarding and stuff. <laughs> And we'll be back with more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. Okay, so you were going to tell me how you became a libertarian. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, but I love the segue. Yeah, that, that was a big divergence. Fantastic. And I'm, I'm sorry if I took up too much. No, time. no, I love this. Um, I became a libertarian because I was a Republican for so long. And then Kurt Loder, mm -hmm. MTV News Kurt Loder, who, you know, people were kind of scared of him because he's very serious and very, very smart. Yes. What they didn't realize, he he's an absolute sweetheart and really, really funny. And he was great. And he was so patient with me. Um, and because I had a lot of questions for him about how to be a journalist mm -hmm. and, you know, how how do you put the best questions together for a group of people who really don't like asking questions because mm -hmm. he was always very, very good at that and very smart and very well read. And I wanted to learn some of his good habits. And, you know, eventually we got to talking about politics and he was like, you're not a Republican. Mm. And I was like, what am I? And he's like, you're a libertarian. I didn't know what that meant. And then I was lucky enough to spend some time with Frank Zappa before he passed away. And Frank Zappa considered himself to be a libertarian maybe you know of a slightly different stripe and and 
you know, when Frank passed, I wanted to learn more and more about it. And then Penn Jillette was like, you're libertarian. Wow. And and so between those three kind of intellectual titans, I didn't quite know what it meant or how to define myself. And it really wasn't until I left MTV and got into talk radio in Seattle. And, you know, that was a very left-leaning place and, and trying to find my voice, which it no longer felt Republican. It was something else. And there were beliefs that I had that I had to put a name to and investigate and, and go a little deeper. And, and doing talk, talk radio at the time helped me do that. What do you think the biggest thing is that sets it apart from the other parties? Um, I have a desire to get politics away from the two-party system because yes. I think, you know, it does such a disservice Mm -hmm. and you know people don't understand and when i say people i really mean like establishment media um who is used to crafting the narrative and serving it to people um they don't understand why people like rfk jr and donald trump appeal to so many voters Mm. and it's because they have been abused by the two-party system their lives are no better for it and, you know, the, in different ways, they sort of reach out to voters who have been completely abandoned by the establishment. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I look at what's happening, happened in, in schools and in healthcare, and with the pandemic. And I've always been skeptical of the government. But, you know, the bigger government gets and the more power they have, the more they encroach on your life. And you start to realize, like, Oh, they're the problem. And then you have people like Bernie Sanders and AOC lobbying for more government, for bigger government, you know, for state control of everything. It's like, well, everything they control becomes much more expensive and we have less access to it and it doesn't make our lives better. And it's kind of making the economy fall apart. Yeah. So it's it's just been a, a series of confirmations over the last 30 years that, you know, and it, it's not that I don't think we should have government. I do think we should have government. I just think we should have way, way, way less of it. I think most people would agree with you. Yeah, and they, I think most people agree they want the government out of their lives. Yeah. And they're not for as much as they're paying in taxes. And don't listen to the nonsense that only people making over $400,000 a year are going to see a tax increase. It is going to be everybody. It is going to be the middle class and... You know, for for people, politicians who are really appealing to people who are struggling to put their kids through college, who are struggling with schools for elementary students and middle and high school students, you know, just going to the movies. Yeah. Like, forget going to a theme park for Mm -hmm. a week. It's like, who can afford that? Yeah. How did you feel when they shut MTV down? MTV News? Yeah. Um, I was sad. But I realized, like, I was sad for the nostalgia. Okay. Because, Me too. Yeah. And and I was there when MTV News had been around for a few years before I got there. Mm-hmm. But when I got there in the fall of 1992, that's when it had really taken off. Mm-hmm. And that's when, you know, there, it was very consequential for this election, which really could have gone either way. And because Bill Clinton was so willing to talk to a younger audience— and not condescend to them, that made a big impact in the race. It did. 
going back to that, I mean, he really did change politics. Yeah. In a lot of ways. But I did like he was from a kid. He was a kid from Arkansas that saw a dream that he could achieve. I like that about him. Yeah. I mean, he was compared to the modern Democrat Party. He was a centrist. Mm -hmm. And there's no way that with his views, you know, regardless of his personal peccadilloes, that he would be the leader of the party now. Yeah. It's making my head explode this next election. Yes. It's it's wild. Like if you look at it purely from. So as libertarians, we know our person is never going to get elected. So for us, it's just political blood sport. And and then it becomes kind of entertaining because it doesn't matter. I vote in California. It doesn't matter who I vote for. A Democrat's always going to be as long as the Democrat machine has the stranglehold in California, which they will for some time then it's it's not going to matter how I vote. But you still do. I always vote. I mean, I have written Kat Timph in for <laughs> so many judicial appointments in California. <laughs> she knows this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At some point, she's going to get a call from, you know, the county elections board. And I'm be like, hey, uh, good news. <laughs> you are our latest county judge. She would actually be... A, she would be amazing. She would be. Like, she should have... I know she's got Sincerely Cat, which is wonderful, but she should have a court show. <laughs> She'd yeah. be... That's something we should pitch to Fox Nation. Absolutely but she has right. a lot going on, too. Yes, yeah, she does. And we'll be back with more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. So five days a week, Kennedy saves the world. Mm-hmm. What are you hoping with this podcast to do other than save the world? I mean, I really... I have a humble list of requests. And, yes. you know, one is to change the nature of broadcasting uh, for eternity. <laughs> I love this forum. It's my favorite. For Listen, sure. Not that I don't love doing weather on Fox Square on 48th and 6th than talking to the peeps, because I love doing that too. Amen. But there is something about sitting in a room and not having to worry that you've got a commercial coming up in three minutes and you're trying to finish your thought or you can't finish your thought and just be able to breathe. Mm-hmm. And people, I think, appreciate that. I never want this to go away. I Listen, I've been in radio for a long time. I know you have as well. There's always like, oh, radio's dead. But it always reinvents itself. You know what's not dead? People listening and when you can listen, it means things get a little deeper into your brain and you can connect with them in a way that you can't visually. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's like, I love TV because a visual media medium is completely different. And I love, you know, different shades of lipstick and facial expressions and the whole thing. But because I came from radio, like the audio medium and the connection that you have with someone who is listening is so deep and personal that I... I always want that Mm -hmm. because I can be like a great big fat person in a cottage somewhere just talking to people and we we will still vibe. Yes. Well, I always said, you know, when I was on TV, my mom would say, oh, your hair looks a little different today. Or did you lose a little bit of weight? Like Mm -hmm. you can't do that in radio. You got to listen to what I'm saying. Amen. And I love that, too, because You're able to paint a picture with your voice. That's right. Yeah. Your two girls, how old are they? 14 and almost 18. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Step me through this because Matthew's 14 and I feel it. I feel he is, you know, just a few feet out the door. Yeah. And it's 
my heart is... It's a heartbreaking process. So one of the things that I read when I was pregnant with my oldest was that motherhood is this bittersweet experience yes. and all it is is a series of letting go <laughs> and it's heartbreaking. It, it is. is because it's like you are their universe when they're in your body and yes. they're safe and you know where they are at all times. And and from that point forward, it's like you just, you know, you let them go and, and you give birth and then they walk and that's scary. And then they go to preschool and you, you think about them constantly. And then they're in elementary school like all day long. And then they go to high school and they don't want to talk to you. And you're like, you have to be kidding me. Oh. And But a friend of mine gave me some really great advice. And so she said, it's like my octopus teacher said, just always show up. Mm. Always show up. Always be there. And I, I also heard a couple things. One, when they are toddlers, when they're like 13, four, or, or three or four, rather, that's how they will be when they're 13 or 14. Their temperament when they're toddlers and if they're moody and, and throw tantrums, they can do that when they're in their early teens, which is totally a thousand percent true. And the other, which a lot of parents don't realize, is they need you just as much in adolescence as they do when they're preschoolers. And you don't think that. You're like, oh, well, they're off doing their own thing. Like, I guess I can, you know, take my foot off the gas. Absolutely not. Like, you have to be there. Okay. And so, and I am, there's a really funny sweatshirt of Jesus looking around the corner and goes, I saw that. And that's that's me. Like, I am the lurking mom. I am always there like, huh, what? What'd you say? What do you need? Do you need something? Do you have a fever? Okay. Yeah, did you get some protein? Do you want a smoothie? I can make you a smoothie. Go what, myself? Okay, yeah, all right. And, but, uh, and so when they went to want to come out and talk, because now they're like cats, and they, they sort of lurk out of their rooms, and I'm lurking in the kitchen, and then we can lurk together. Right. So now we have these times a day where we all sit and, and talk about it and just make fun of people constantly. And uh, if people knew what we talk about, I, I think they'd be entertained and ashamed in equal measure. It could be like a Kardashians <laughs> thing, you girls. You could. I love them so much. They make me laugh so hard. They make fun of me constantly, but they know that uh, I'll always be there with a turkey sandwich. Um, a turkey sandwich. Mm -hmm. That is... Dana Brino asked me that, and I said, no matter what, I always have the contents for a turkey sandwich. Like, we could be out of everything. But I've got sliced turkey, I've got cheese, mayo, mustard, bread, lettuce, and tomato, and I'll make you one. That's the title of your next book. <laughs> I can make you a turkey sandwich. Yeah. Sometimes it's all I got. That's okay. I'm glad you told me that because I feel like I, I am getting that heartbrokenness when you, and I love it. I love that my youngest now is enjoying like going to the pool and having some independence, um, you know, being able to go to town and hang out with his buddies. Um, but I just feel like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do when they're not physically around me? Yeah. My friend of mine, her daughter just got married. And she was like, it's so weird because she moved out of the house and she's not coming back. And it like it dawned on her. I'm like, that is such a trip because my oldest is going to college. And like I it's so weird that I won't see her every day. Yeah. And she's not going to download her day. Um, and, you know, I will have to like harass her to talk. to, But she'll come back. Yeah. You know, but then like at some point they leave and it's like, whoa. I know. What do we do? I don't know. I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> Bucket list. Do you have any? You've done a lot of stuff. You are the person that if you want to do something, you go and do it. Well, Kat and I are going on safari in October. <gasps> you are? Yeah. It's already planned. It's planned. Where are you going? 
I can't say. Okay. But it's Africa. <laughs> Are you like bringing cameras? Are you going to document oh, no, we're not, it? We're not. I mean, there will be documentation, but not formal documentation. This is a girlfriend trip. Yeah. That's really exciting. So I love Africa. She's always wanted to go. So, so we're going. I love that. Listen, I love friendships now. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just feel like being in my 50s, you kind of know what's important. The BS is, our detector for it is very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, so the friends that we keep and have are like forever. Yes. And I feel- And they really have your back. They They, they truly like, now the friendships that you have- uh, they're incredible listeners. They're an amazing support system. And they'll tell you how it really is. It's true. Yes. I want somebody to say to me, that lipstick doesn't look so good. <laughs> so that I can say, but I still like it. <laughs> it's the F at 50s. <laughs> it is. What is something that you cannot live without? Um, oh, that's a fine question. Um, like chapstick. Okay. So I, I can't stand dry lips. Yes. So when I leave the house, and I've used butter at restaurants before. <laughs> yeah. Or olive oil. It all works. But yeah, can't can't live without it. Like you how do you Yeah, you just did 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 beep 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 Shaftstick. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good. And uh when does it go five days a week starting now? Yes. And I hear that you have Jimmy Fayla on regularly. Mm-hmm. He is he's my go to guy, right? I mean, we could just sit there and talk about whatever, and it's hilarious. No, he's amazing. And being on this comedy tour with him is Tell so, me about that. It's so funny. Like, we have so much fun because, and, and I've heard his set, but he adds new things, but I know what's coming up, and I laugh so hard. Yes. And he's got, I, I hope people come out, like, my part's really fun. His part is actually funny. So what do you do? Do you open up for him? Do you come out? Well, how yeah, does that I do. Work? I do a half hour, and I like I do. I play Fox News trivia with the crowd, and okay. I have three people come on stage, and so far they're horrible at it, which makes me laugh really hard because I I get three people from the audience who are avowed Fox News fans. Okay, and then I ask them Fox News trivia, and sometimes they're just awful, like they're not good at it, and uh, which is makes it even funnier because then I have. The audience yell out the answer, and oh, the yeah. entire audience knows. And you know, one of the questions was, "What's Dana Perino's husband's name?" And they're like, "I don't know." And then the <laughs> I, I'm like, "Okay, audience," and they're like, "Peter, Peter." <laughs> and this guy's like, "Cedar," and I'm like, "No, it's not Cedar. <laughs> it's Peter, Peter." <laughs> That's brilliant, actually. It's really fun. And then I tell some MTV stories and. The older, more conservative people in the crowd don't always appreciate them because they do get a little filthy. Okay. Um, And then, you know, then Jimmy comes out, he does 45 minutes, and then we do a half hour Q&A together. And that's the funnest part of the show. Is this going to be happening throughout the summer and fall? We've got uh, three more dates. There's going to be more. Yeah, he's he's going to do... So he, he's got plans for something very special. Okay. So he's going to be doing stuff in the fall and then hopefully we'll go back out in the spring. 
okay, because I'm supposed to go somewhere to see him in the fall, I think upstate New York, because my sister-in-law has a girlfriend who loves Jimmy. They bought tickets and my sister-in-law was texting me about that. And all of a sudden, while she's texting me, Jimmy comes into the room like, Jimmy, my sister-in-law is has got tickets to see you in upstate New York in September. And he's like, oh my gosh, that's great. I'm like, can I come? He's like, of course, you can all come back to stage. Aww. So I'm hoping that maybe you're doing that show as well. I don't know about that one. We are doing one together, I think in November. Okay. But we, so the winner of the Fox News trivia gets to come backstage with us <gasps> and- and do what? You know, it's like have some mictors and take a picture. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I love that. I want to come on tour as well. Do it. The three of us. Yeah. Did he tell you the, the story about how we were at the Patriot Awards and we got lost in the like the bowels of that uh, Hollywood hard rock hard yeah. rock no oh yeah it was like it was like spinal tap because every turn we would think we were there and be like rock and roll yeah <laughs> i got it i got to know him really well doing that just like going somewhere and not getting there and spending like an hour that's that's when you find the people who will survive in the wild that is true mm-hmm. kennedy you're such a pleasure i love you so much i hope we can do this more often i love you janice dean i'm always here for you ah okay well i want to come on your podcast Let's do it. Uh, Sign me up. Okay. Consider it done. Okay. I love you. I love you, Janice. Thank you, Kennedy, for your insight, your wit, and your friendship. I feel so lucky to have you in my life, and I look forward to coming on your podcast, Kennedy Saves the World, now on Fox News Radio five days a week. Be sure to add it to your favorites if you haven't already. Thank you to all of my listeners. If you have someone you think should make the Dean's List, let me know at Janice Dean on Twitter or Janice Dean FNC on Instagram. Or you can rate this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.